Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello! Clam comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, family? It's your girl, Tamika D. Mallory. And your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of Street Politicians, the place place where where the the streets streets and politics meet. What's going on, my son, Lennon? Oh, man, I'm blessed and highly favored. You know, had a long weekend. My young King Cameron, it was his 11th birthday. So he had me doing everything from doing I Fly, where I was flying and then i went to six flags and he had me on every roller coaster in the world so wow. you know my body's a little tired i ain't i ain't young a young whippersnapper like i used to be but you know i had to be there with him and celebrate that so happy your birthday. body's weary your body yeah, the is body's weary, weary but the, the heart and the mind is strong man i've been today you know i woke up today and i was just going through the news and i seen something with two people i actually know one who's like a brother to me and another one who is um somebody that you I, saw. I, I, I look huh? you saw. I saw. Look, this lady <laughs> is this lady is the vocabulary police. And here. I'm not because I'm not that great at it, but you know but, they, she, but you so you seem to be great when it comes to me, man. Lord have mercy. One teach one, each one teach one. I saw 
you know, I saw something in the news today, and it was with my boy Mace and Five Year Farmer, who was, you know, a young brother that I've I like and I met, and you know, we got a good relationship with. And there was this conflict. I haven't read everything through it, but I've seen Five Year had an interview on um Wallow and Gillies Million Dollar Worth the Game podcast. Shout out to them. And he was talking how Mace gave him a $5,000 advance when he signed him. And then I see now that Mace has come up there and he gave his point of view. I didn't really get to see his point of view, but, you know, just I was just reading some of the comments just based off what people were saying, you know, and even when when Wilo and Gilly was like, what? He only gave you $5,000? That's crazy, like, you know. And I was just, and I had a perspective, you know, because I personally was signed and I had a similar situation, not $5,000, but, you know, when people find out what you signed for, what your deal is, you know, people always be like, oh, it's, it's not, it wasn't worth it, you worth more than this, you know, and, and as I understand the business more and more, and I look into it, you know, I didn't know who 5 for him was, you know, I didn't, when, whenever May signed him, he wasn't this person that we know now. We don't, you know, he got this dope music. He's a dope artist, but he wasn't, he wasn't five-year foreign at that time. And Mace seen something in him. Mm-hmm. You know, he he looked and said, oh, this dude is talented. And at the time, you know, even five-year foreign admitted itself and said, yo, that $5,000 was hitting at that time. I ain't have nothing. My man was like, yo, you bugging, you need to find. So Fabio felt that he was worth, that was enough to sign a deal with Mace. You know, he didn't coerce him into anything. He said, yo, I, I see talent in you and this is what I got to give. And the man accepted it. He didn't jerk him. He didn't say, I'm gonna give you this and didn't give you this. You know, maybe Fabio wasn't as skilled at the business. Maybe the people he had around him wasn't as skilled with the business. He didn't understand what he was signing. But what I'm trying to say is I don't see where Mace did anything dirty. Now, if he, Signed him for five thousand dollars and said, I, "I own all your rights. I own your publishing. I own your masters." Knowing that even if we do get somewhere, you know, I'm gonna own all the stuff from you, and you know, then I think that's some, that has to be renegotiated. At that point, you know, you should never own anybody's masters and all things. Like it's just no way. Like so, those those are issues that I see. But when you initially sign an artist, man, you know, I've. I've been one of those artists, you know, and, and, and shout out to my man Tone. Tone did good business with me, and there was people trying to cause confusion with that. But I was like, yo, I didn't have nothing. Nigga took me off the street, pulled me, and, and you know, show introduced me to certain people until we actually got a deal. You know, I was a dude in the hood, starving, trying to figure it out. You know, so a lot of people have this perspective that you know, you're supposed to give somebody a million dollars, a dude that just rapping that you just see a talent in, I'm sure that he had to pay studio time for them to make music. You know, I don't know, I'm just giving my perspective. You know, I'm sure he had to pay studio time to make music. I'm sure they probably got music that hasn't been released, but in the time that he signed them, whatever the, the situation was, Fabio got hot, you know, and his career took off. So. I don't know all the particulars, but I know when people looking at $5,000, oh, that's all he gave you. I, I don't know if I agree with that. You How know long that? ago was it? It was a few years. It was it was the years, like probably a year or something before Fabio got signed. 
you know, and Fabio, like when we did the interview with Fabio, I remember Fabio saying he was homeless. There was a time he was homeless. I remember him literally saying that. So for somebody who was homeless and somebody invest $5,000 out of their pocket to give to you and then provide opportunities for you to make music because they see a level of talent in you and say, okay, well, when you get a deal, I need a percentage of it. You know what I'm saying? I don't see where, where that's doing bad business. If I offer you well, something- But what did you... Fabio say is he's saying, I guess, I mean, I've seen it. I, I, I saw online several, um, you know, posts, but I didn't like get into the details. But do you know if he feels like he was cheated or- is Well, he... at first I didn't, I don't think he felt like he was cheated. I, I don't know, you know, cause I don't, I don't do the gossip and I'm not trying to cause beef between two black men. You know, I know there's an online discussion. When he was telling Gill Gillian Wallow it, he didn't sound like he was angry. He sound like, you know, it's for information. So people will know. He said, you know, he didn't sound angry. But then I heard another thing after Mace's, which I'm probably watch Mace's video later on to see the full, you know, conversation that he had about it. And then somebody put a clip of I think Fabio talking to Mace and said, "How much money you invested in my career? How much money you invested in me?" And then May said, wait, and about how much I invested in you is something about what happened. I don't remember the exact thing, but it sounded like they was having like a debate. And you so so it sounded like there's some confusion, some level of confusion. But I'm just saying overall, people's perspective, making it seem like $5,000 was nothing. And he should, you know, he's supposed to do more for him. And I'm just saying at that time, first of all, nobody knows what Mace has. You know what I'm saying? Mace is, you know, Nobody knows what, how much Mace, money Mace has, so they're making that assumption based on what? I don't know. And then they're not paying attention to the fact that somebody is taking a chance, a risk. When they invest in you, uh, advancement is just, if you get something, you pay me back. That's all it is. You know what I'm saying? So if, if, if I'm, I see talent in you, and if you actually have talent and we get somewhere, then you pay me back my, my investment. And then we we work from a level of percentages. So, you know, like once again, I don't know if he negotiated taking his publishing or his masters and all of that, but people being mad that all he got was $5,000 when he was actually somebody that none of us actually knew, to me, is a little crazy. You know, that's, that's if somebody walked up to me and said, yo, I think you dope, man. I heard you do something and I'm just going to give you $5,000 for something that I think you're going to do later. Most of us going to take it if we ain't got nothing, unless we already built the brand for ourselves. Then you know, listen, my I've already built this brand, so I'm worth this. So you got to, you only can negotiate what you worth, and when you have to, you have to negotiate what you believe you worth. Yeah, I mean, you should. I, I don't know. I mean, I think I see both sides, and I loved for you to, you know, let me know like what was the, what is the point of all of this because. You know, $5,000, while it is certainly something when you have nothing, it also might be the $5,000 you need to pass up because there's a larger, uh, you know, offer coming and you are you already tying yourself into something that is not really uh, up to the standard of, of who you are and what your potential is. Because there is a such thing as investing in potential, right? And I'm not saying $5,000 isn't, I'm just saying there is a such thing as investing in potential. So it would be good to know and, and understand both perspectives, you know, in terms of where they were and, and you know, and how Fabio feels about the situation. I too 
Um, as we see him in passing several places, he seems to be a really, really uh, nice guy who is like really just, you know, sort of to himself and trying to figure out things. He's very talented and we know that. So I'm sure that, you know, if he had to do it all over again, he probably would be more educated, have different people around to help him. But when somebody takes a chance on you, um, you know, there is there is that. There is people, there are people out here who, um, you know, might not have a lot or may not be willing to even give a lot, but the small steps help you to build towards the bigger thing. So I don't know. I mean, I think I, I'm sure that you will get all of the little menial details because it is something that's important, um, you know, and, and how they deal with it or how it all shapes up is very important for this generation that's watching how Black men interact with one another, especially with conversations about money, where people feel they have either been or have, you know, whatever they've been taking advantage of or they haven't, and just, you know, what that looks like. And that is, I think, how we deal with conflict resolution is in being able to have these conversations. So that's my perspective. No, it right makes now. sense. I just, I just want people, right, not to be so quick so it's like Beyonce said her first contract, you know, she only got $50,000. And people are like, what? You only got $50,000? Yeah, Beyonce. She wasn't Beyonce then, right? So we having a conversation about the Fabio now, you know, in comparison to who he was then, not taking anything from him. He obviously was talented and somebody seen that, you know, but a lot of times as an up-and-coming artist, I remember me not having nothing. And when they came, whatever the little 20-something thousand advance they gave me, and I was like, yes. You know, I couldn't wait, you know, and, I, and other people got way more than me. But at that time, that's what I believed that was worth. I, I needed it. I believed that was worth moving. You know, in hindsight, I probably would have said, nah, let me wait. Because hindsight, in hindsight, I realized how much I'm worth. You know what I'm saying? I realized just moving forward. Yeah, I realized what my potential was. A lot of people invest in potential that you don't know is there. And that in itself is a skill set, right? And it's supposed to be compensated for because when people invest in you prior to you even realizing who you are, it gives you a level, an extra level of confidence to actually go to the next level because people have that level of belief in you. So don't we can't overlook those things, man. Don't overlook those people who see something in you before you actually see something in you because those people are valuable. Well, I agree, I agree. Well, um, other things are happening in the news. Um, you know, uh, uh, one story that really stuck out, and I didn't hear a lot of people talking about it this week, but it's an interesting story where in Kenley, North Carolina, uh, the new city manager, her name is Justine Jones, is a black woman who just became the city manager. And I guess over the last two months, all of the members of the police force have resigned. I don't know if it's all, I mean, it says entire police force resigns, but it's like, what does that mean? Because, you know, uh, entire is entire is entire. But anyway, they say entire. So that means everybody resigned. Um, and the chief, the chief of police is saying, he wrote a Facebook post talking about, you know, how she is creating a hostile environment for the officers and that it's her fault that all of these officers have resigned. And so, you know, it's interesting because I don't know her, you don't know her, 
And I am not going to assume that every Black person, every Black woman, every anybody is right or does everything properly or she could be evil, nasty, rude, crazy, or let's not say crazy, wrong word, but she could have issues, all of that, right? And we don't know because we're not there and would make people feel hostile. But what we do know, we, we know this, we don't know who she is and what she may or may not have done. But what we definitely know is how officers want a full autonomy and do not want accountability for their actions. So when a black, so it sounds to me, you know, but again, we don't know, but it sounds to me like a black woman became city manager, which means she's supposed to manage the city and police departments somehow think they are a separate and apart entity and that they can just work on their own and not have any accountability measures for the things that go on. And she probably said, no, as city manager, policing is a part of it. There's gonna be rules, regulations, budgets, checking the money, where the money is going, how it's being used, what's happening in terms of quotas and datas and all of that stuff, data. Um, and I bet you, they said, I, this is how we're going we gonna to protest by all of us walking out. Me, if I was talking to the sister, I would say, hey, bye-bye. Now it's time for us to rebuild a department with people who want and understand what accountability looks like. That's my opinion. But again, we don't know. Yeah, we don't know, but it, it just sounds, it doesn't make much sense to me that a whole department would decide that they're gonna quit when a black woman gets in office. Like, so every, she's just completely focusing and doing something wrong to all of y'all to the point where nobody wants to work, you know? And we've, we've seen these type of activities in the past, you know, when black people are put in positions of power, you know, and, and the, the white supremacist mind state says that I don't have to listen to this black person. You know, I'm not yeah. letting this woman, black woman tell me what to do. I've been doing it a certain way. And, you know, they probably didn't want her in office to in begin with, place. you know, so it, it, it seems like that. But once again, like you said, we don't know all the particulars, but it's just unfortunate that these situations just look so familiar. You know, we all, we constantly have to deal with situations like this, you know, so I'm yeah, just- I mean, people, people, this is a thing, cops resigning, turning their backs on the mayor, you know, all of that because they feel like they have been challenged for behavior that is abusive it's offensive it's abusive it's criminal and they do not like or want anybody to come into place and call them out publicly about it and also for people to um, create again accountability measures right and, and a city manager looks at budgets looks at the money and that's a definite no-no because once you start looking, but the money is not just money in and of itself. It's money attached to, uh, 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 it's money attached to performance. So what exactly is happening? You're using all of this money, you're doing all of these things, but what are some of the other issues and concerns? Can you be less militarized? Can you respond differently in situations where there should be de-escalation, mental health, or what have you? So it's going to be interesting to really read and focus and follow up on 
what is taking place, um, you know, in that situation. But my thing is, based upon what I think I know, again, we don't know, but what I think I know, Justine Jones, a Black female city manager, is probably about her business. And these people who are prim primarily, we know that, that's just the case all across the country, whether you Black, white, whatever you may be, is primarily male. And I can and I and I can say with no hesitation that I bet this police department in North Carolina, Kenley, North Carolina, is heavily populated with white men in the police department. And they're not gonna listen to any woman, and especially not a black woman. That's what I think. But sounds you know, about white. That's what I think. You know what I'm saying? Because I mean, gotta, listen, it sounds about white. So, yeah. uh, also in the Bronx, uh, we've all followed the story of Junior. It's been several years now since Junior was murdered in a horrific scene um, where the bodega owner didn't help him uh, when he ran in after being chased down by uh, how many men was involved in that? Um, I don't know. It was a lot. Like it maybe six, six people or whatever. And the, and the bodega owner closed the door or something, yeah, right? The, door, the store's been closed. I think. It's no, no, I mean that day. At that day, yep, he um kicked Junior out and, and closed the door. Kicked him out the store. Kicked him out and closed the door. And these men um, were able to attack Junior. They beat him. They stabbed him, right? Stabbed him, beat him. Uh, and he had to take himself to the hospital when he died. Yeah. Um, terrible. 15 years old? I think so. 15 or 16. One of the Very young kid. Not a grown man. Uh, he died in a very, very horrific way. His family it just was heart-wrenching watching it. And over time, there's been trials and there's been different things happening. Um, and now he definitely was 15 years old. Um, and now there are two people who've been convicted of murder. Uh, and this, and and they should be, they should absolutely be, um, you know, it's, we call it justice, but really justice is more, is, is, is junior not being in a trap situation where people would even have to, exactly. try to take his life. It's just more accountability than actual justice, man, because it's just lives lost, family members, mothers losing their child. I say all the time when, when we kill each other, you know, we lose two lives, the person who's been killed and the person who did the killing because that person's lives, life will never be normal again if he's not in prison for the rest of his life. So it's just a lot. Yeah, no, it's it's it's, it's really, 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 really painful. Um, and then the last thing is a story that is now developing. Um I feel like someone said to me today, in fact, it was Linda, she wrote it on our chat for the co-founders of Until Freedom. How are we supposed to keep up with this shit? That is exactly what she said. Now you have this young lady, Brianna Greer, um, who was, she's, she's a, a diagnosed schizophrenic. Uh, her family, she was having an episode. Her mom called the police. She called 911. They came, 
Um, there's video where you see them carrying her. You know, she's in an episode fully in her, you know, crying and probably, uh, uh, you know, crying and unable to follow whatever directions she's being given. So they have to grab her and drag her. And they put her into the police car. And I'm not talking about what her family said or what attorney Ben Crump, who is now her attorney, or what uh, attorney Gerald Griggs from Georgia said. I'm not talking about what my son and Tamika said. I'm talking about the Georgia Bureau of Investigations. They said she was put in the car with no seatbelt and the door was not closed completely. She flew out of the car, hit her head, and six days after being in a coma, she died. This is the mother of three-year-old twins. Now, I know there is an idiot somewhere saying, well, she should have complied. She shouldn't have done this or she shouldn't. Bruh. The bottom, some idiot. the bottom line is that having a mental health problem should not be a sentence of death. Not to mention, we're still talking about Randy Cox in Connecticut, where he was arrested over a dispute where someone said they didn't, the person he was in dispute with never says he pulls a gun out on me. That never happened. But as he's in the dispute, someone else sees a weapon on him. They call to say these people are into it, which again, this person never said they felt threatened or any of that. But this, the, the cops say, okay, this other person called to say they saw a gun. So they arrest him. He is, he was in the process at that time of, um, uh, he was like managing, if you will, a street, like a, 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 a what is that called? A, um, block party for someone else who had been killed. And he's like the head guy of this, right? So he's out there managing things. He had the street blocked off so that people wouldn't drive down it. And someone pulls up and decides they're going to go through anyway. And that's where the dispute started. This other individual calls to report that they think they see a weapon. So the police came, they picked him up, they arrested him. And while he's in the car, he's in there with no seatbelt on, handcuffed, sliding back and forth in the paddy wagon. And you know, we know there's no room that you can't do anything, is nothing you could do. He falls to the side, hits his head, breaks his neck, his back, other ailments, and he's now paralyzed. So this is like Linda's point. How much of this shit, how do we keep up with this shit? Because now it is. it appears to me that they are intentionally not putting the seatbelt on and either leaving doors open or creating rough ride, what we call it the Freddie Gray rough ride situation to deal with people who they feel are unruly, angry or whatever, right? Because we see in the video that Randy is like kicking the thing, he's mad, he's cursing and they know how to, they know how to deal with that. But what do you do when you're schizophrenic and you don't even have a ability in this moment to reason normally because you are going through a manic, moment but this is this is where you know we talk about law changes and we talk about qualified immunity and we talk about why these things are important right because 
if the police are constantly able to utilize they didn't know or they felt threatened and you know those things are grounds for them not to be prosecuted or not really be held accountable right then, then why do you have to know why do you have to do things right right if if i'm on a job and i don't really have any expectations and i'm, I'm not going to be held accountable whatever happens they'll put me on desk for a second you'll take it out of the, the you know the the public's money and pay people and it'll be all i don't know real accountability for me i could constantly continue to be negligent to be you know not do my job properly to 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 be purposely purposely do things that are negligent you know and there's no accountability so when we look at these situations if officers knew that listen if something happens to this officer right here it's totally on me i'm going to be charged they're going to take the money out of my check my family's not going to be able to survive the level of carefulness that they would utilize you know the, the professionalism that would be utilized every time would be way different Officers don't really have any accountability for anything and they and, don't care. And I would add to what you just said that the other piece is when we say defund the police, this is what we're talking about. We're not saying demolish police departments in every city and don't have police. What we're saying is there's a funding imbalance. There is no reason, and this gets me into my thought of the day too, why the police even need to respond to a schizophrenic uh, um, attack or, or moment, whatever you, you know, I don't, I don't know the appropriate term. I'm sure there is one. Um, there's no reason why an officer with a gun and a, a cage, which is the car, which is even more stressful to a person who's already having a psychological moment of of, 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 of outbursts, right? They're already going through something. The last thing you wanna do is escalate the tension, right? And so the right, the appropriate thing should be that officers arrive with someone who is specifically trained to deal with mental health issues and that the officer is there to protect of course, that in that expert, of course, that expert needs to be protected. I, I would never say just send, you know, people into anybody's house unprotected. I wouldn't even say that. But the officer should be secondary, very slow to engage. And it should be someone there who has the ability to talk them down, work with, within the situation that's happening and help to get this 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 individual to feel comfortable enough that they will public return. Safety. Public safety should be the first, you know, line. Public safety. First thing we focus on, and right. you know, and it's not, and it's about it's punitive. Safety. It's about exactly all of those things, and and that's why police shouldn't be sent to these situations alone, especially. So absolutely. You know, now, well, let me tell you my thought of the day. Brianna's mother says something that, and we're talking about Brianna Greer because you know we still <laughs> fighting for justice for Brianna Taylor. That's right. But uh, Brianna's mother says, "I feel so bad, like it's my fault because I called the police, and I should never have called them." My thought of the day is that there is a serious, 
serious disconnect that has to be addressed between our seniors, some of our, our, our most valuable and it's our prides, our, our, our prized possession, the elderly people in our community, right? These are, it's just like our babies, our seniors and our elders need to be protected and loved on and, and, and they need all the beautiful things that life can give because they gave us life and they have maintained and fought and been through so much for us to be here. There is a serious disconnect between that generation and our generation where it is rare that if your loved one is having some type of problem or attack or whatever, me, you and me and most people that, that are our age, we're not calling the police. We're not suggesting that we are not picking up the phone to call 911 for most things unless we absolutely feel like there is nothing else that can be done. But our seniors, right? They have been trained because of how just society says the only way to deal with our issues a lot of times is through law enforcement. So when you feel like you don't, your back is up against the wall, it's like we got to, we, we believe, they believe the right thing. There's, there's, there's nothing wrong with how they think, right? They believe that the people they pay who are supposed to be an authority should come and solve the problem. And they don't expect that their loved one is going to be killed. They don't even, even when they say Ray Ray and them is down the street and something's going on over there and I feel nervous, they do not want you to come here and kill Ray Ray. They want you to come get him, figure it out. What they, but the, the, where we are having a disconnect is that what our people need to understand is that nine times out of 10, these people are not coming to help they are not coming to add, to solve, to provide resources. Because they don't have, because they, I, because they don't have, they don't have the skill set, right? Because when they come to our community, or the care, or, or the, the care, care, exactly. There, there's a level of empathy compassion. and compassion that is not present in the police when they come to our communities. They've already been taught that our communities are dangerous. You have to be on. You have to be aware that everything is next. So they come there with a level of adrenaline. A, le a level of fear, you know, a level of anger, oppression, that, all those things that automatically incites more of a confusion, right? So if I'm just arguing with my brother and the police come out like, what the fuck is going on? What's going on? Put your hands up. You're like, yo, we just talk. What are you talking about? Now the aggression, you didn't come and say, hey, what's going on, man? What, what seems to be the problem here? Just, let's just calm down. They don't come with that. They come with this level of aggression. They pulling out their guns. They pushing people away who actually are trying to defuse situations and telling them to get out the way and all that. And then it's causing more confusion because you done push somebody's brother or mother. And now it's an issue between that person. Now is so they, they haven't been given the proper understanding of even how to de-escalate. Most of these most of these officers do not have de-escalation skill set. Not just a training, it has to be a will, right? A lot of these officers right. in to police that have a position of they don't want to have a position of protect and serve. They don't think they serve you. They think they're above you. So they come to your community with this level of energy that they're in charge. They, 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 they get out their car for ice grilling you, looking at you and you looking at them back. And they come out and want to prove to you that they toughen you. There's a lot of these, these machismo officers, right? So we have to understand that. 
in our communities. Right. We have and to understand that. Can't, and we, that's we, why we can't create that. Right. And 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 so that is like a part of a larger dialogue, which we should really be unpacking as well. Uh, you know, in, in the next few weeks, um, is this issue around the shootings, the violence. We just talked about junior. Those types of incidents make our elderly nervous. It makes them scared. And they should. By the way, the videos have been, remember, we went through at the beginning of the year, several videos coming out of men taking, robbing, knocking people down, uh, hurting elderly people, pushing people, trying to run in their homes. And it was like every day. That stuff probably hasn't stopped. It may have calmed down in some places now that people are sort of getting back to work and things are moving. But still, there are there are incidents happening every day. People are nervous. They are afraid. They should not have to be fighting in their community. They shouldn't have to be walking through their communities, looking over their shoulders. Because some That's of these true. young punks, these 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 these, yeah, they these, need the ass whipping. Some of them need ass whipping. They, they, they absolutely need their asses whipped. They need people to really pull their coattails. And what we have to do is make sure that folks know that in many places around this country, there are anti-violence prevention and interruption specialists that you can call that will help figure out what is wrong, what's going on with Pupu, yeah. what is his situation. And these are people from your community that you actually know, that you've right. seen, and you know, that you don't probably don't know that that's what they do but they're actual people in your community who are credible messengers who you actually respect who you've seen grown and some of them you've seen change the, from being one of the agitators exactly. to being able to you know deflate any situation so i think we it's, it's our job you know and i've been having this conversation with our mayor with all of the you know the crisis management system is, is what they're called and how do we amplify that message? How do we make sure that it's publicized, that people are doing this work? So that our elderly says, oh, you know what? I could call these people. Who 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 does that in my community, right? Who, how do we identify with those people? Who do I connect? What's the number for those people when I see situations, you know, or have situations in our community, right? So we- And the we, police we have, department should support this. Yep, so pre the, the police, police department, department because at the end of the day, it makes your job easier. You ain't got to go over there, deal with Ray Ray. You ain't got to potentially have to hurt nobody. You don't have to get in a situation that you're not even skilled to deal with, right? Or don't even want to deal with. So you should be calling, hey, they got a situation over there. You guys handle that and let us know if, if you need our assistance, right? right? That's the way the liaison system should work between the crisis management system and the police. Yeah, absolutely. So that. These are things that we have to make sure we, and I, I'm now committed that we have to get into the places where our elderly and our seniors are, because we have, we have been so narrowly focused on really important work of, of, of getting into the hearts and minds of the Keishas and the Ray Rays and the Poopoos and the Neat Neats and all of the people in the community. And that is awesome. And we have to continue to do that work because that is the demographic that we at Until Freedom and our organization, that is our demo, right? That's who we work with. But now what well, we realize that in order to help that group, we also have to 
educate and work with our elderly community so that they know there are other resources and so they are not part of Crime Bill 1994, because that's what's happening right now. They're trying to pass Crime Bill 1994 2.0, which means that the same crime bill that was was dealing with violence and drugs and all of that that put a bunch of people in prison in 1994 that we all, you know, there's always people talking about Bill Clinton and Joe Biden's, um, their role in that, uh, super predators, which Hillary Clinton said, those have been top of the mind in terms of the election um, for president and just the conversation in general. Well, it also is happening right now. And again, the, the, the excuse that is used most times when you're talking to people who voted for that bill is that the pastors and the seniors, that they were asking for something to be done and they supported the crime bill. And that's because it's out of fear. And so we cannot repeat these same things when we know our history teaches us that more law enforcement, more cops and more money for police has never been the solution. If it was, if it were the solution, we wouldn't be in the situation we're in right now because they have money. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Delve into the visceral world of hip-hop with the Gangster Chronicles. 
podcast that aims to unravel the intricate tapestry of one of music's most influential and misunderstood subgenres, gangster rap. Hosted by MC8 and Big Steels every Thursday, each episode provides an in-depth exploration into the formative artists, monumental albums, and socio-political factors that have shaped gangster rap from its emergence in the 80s to its enduring impact today. Gangster Chronicles unpacks the evolution of this uniquely American art form. We dive into the socio-cultural aspects that gangster rap boldly addressed, from police brutality to systemic racism, offering listeners a comprehensive understanding of the profound cultural significance this genre holds. Listen to the Gangster Chronicles on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's go. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s. She looked like a million bucks. With zero qualifications. She had a Harvard plaque. Tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. That this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately eleven million dollars. Nearly ten million dollars was all gone. Employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich man, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, season five, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> You couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels. A story of California corruption on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. So we own it. So here we go again with one of our friends, and um, it's a friend that, that he's not just our friend. This is our brother that we are uh, talking with today. I love this new format that my son has us doing for the show. He decided that after a few years of us doing Street Politicians that he wanted to shake up the programming a little bit and really get to know more about each person and the people we're interviewing, their personal lives, their stories, how they got to where they are, in addition to them talking about our topic of the day. Um, But this particular person, we've been on a journey with him for the last several years as family. And you guys know that one of the big things about 
uh, street politicians is that we always have good friends uh, that are out here doing great things in society that we're able to talk with and hopefully um, share something that you all don't know about them. And so for today, uh, our brother that's joining us is a TV personality, a serial entrepreneur. They're buying up so much stuff, a whole new world of investing and having restaurants and businesses. Um, the father of four children, who I call my nieces and nephews, um, very, very dear to me to watch him as a father uh, be there with his family and very, very important. Probably the most important thing that he does every day is deal with my crazy sister, Yandy Smith-Harris, who is his beautiful wife. Thank you for joining Street Politicians, Mendeecee. God, thank you for having me. <laughs> thank you, thank you, my son. Thank you, Tamika. I appreciate this opportunity. Man, listen, man. You know, I, you know, I, I just recently heard that you just got off parole. So, congratulations Probation. on that. Probation. 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 Right. Probation. Thank you. Thank you. It's pretty much the same thing, right? So, yeah, I, I um put in for early requests, and they let me off uh, three and a half years early. Wow. Same thing they did to me, man. I, I know that feeling. It feels like things just lift off your shoulder, man. They got all types man, of restrictions. I feel, I feel like a new man that I don't have to send an email to ask for permission. Can I go somewhere or leave out the country? So now it's time to really explore life and, and see what's out there as far as um traveling. I, you know, one of my dreams were to uh travel outside the country and go to a lot of places that, I, you know, I never thought was possible. Wow. That's That's, I didn't know about the earth. I knew you were... Um, released from probation, but I didn't know that you submitted for early release that I didn't even know that that was possible. So that's amazing. Yeah, man. That must be a testament to how you've been living your life since being released. That basically the system understood that like, this is not the guy that we need to be worried about because it's very clear that you are a family man, a businessman, you're living your life a certain way. Uh, and it's what is supposed to happen, right? We have hardships, challenges, trials, especially coming up young, growing up in the hood, shit happens. And then we're supposed to grow into adulthood. And as it, what is the, 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 the Bible quote says, when I was a man, a child, I did childish things. But when I became a man, I had to do man things. And that's, that's what I see from you today. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. So Mendeecees, now I, I know you hate interviews because I know you, you hate interviews. You know what I'm saying? And and you hate public. You hate being public. Like, right. you know what I'm saying? So I know these I things. wouldn't use the word hate. He strongly well, he doesn't really, he doesn't really, he doesn't really like it. You understand right. what I'm saying? You know, I, a lot I, of I prefer, I prefer if I can to be behind the scenes. Um, I really don't like being in uh, front of the camera, but I embrace it now. Um, just because I see that we all can relate to each other. You know, we all since share the similar, the same story. And my story may help someone else out and, you know, make them navigate and, and, and find a way to overcome it. So I embrace it, but I'm not the one to run and jump in front of the camera. Right. But if you catch fact. me, you know, I'm going I'm to I'm talk, I'm going to open up and I'm going to share. But how was that process getting like from the beginning? Like when I first heard that you was going to be on the show, I was like, this is does. I know this is a process for him because I know he don't even like knowing you for years knowing when you always the person in a cut 
just, you know, people know who you are, but you never was trying to get attention. You was always a person who got attention and never tried to get it. So how was that process for you just getting on TV? What was that process like for you? So the, the first time I was offered to be on TV, I declined because I, I just I didn't I didn't think I was made or cut out for TV. You know, I, I knew that you had to give up your privacy. I knew people would be in your business. And, um, you know, I first I wasn't living right and I just wasn't ready for that attention. You know, um, I, I prefer to not be talked about. I prefer to be able to eat in peace and, and just have have that 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 mental space not people worrying about what I what I'm doing um I think it's kind of like you know how like being in the streets we get money quietly mm. you know uh we really didn't know how to do it out in the open in front of everybody everything was like done in my in my case behind closed doors so I, that's how it was like moving you know in, in silence so you know when they was talking TV I was like that's just putting a spotlight on us uh, I didn't know how to function Mm. Mm. that's a frank lucas mindset right mm -hmm. right so you know you have yandy you have mona you have all of them keep saying you know uh at, at one point you have to try something new you have to transition you have to you know you know they, they just kept convincing me convincing me then you know then i just said hey what the hell and you know it's something new that's that's why not give it a try after a while so you would, the cameras were in your house, but you was not on the show. Right. At some point. So you was like running around corners and being out the way right. while right. they filmed Andy. Right. And I know you was like, hell no. It's way too many people because we did, we did a lot of uh, the season before this one with you guys. And it was too much for me. And I'm used to cameras and it was just too much. It's just so many people they're telling you you know well we know you don't feel like it we know you need a nap we know you're tired but we really 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 need to come to your house and sit there with you and we really need you to just do stuff live in your life talk to your kids nobody wants to talk to their kids in front of the camera like why <laughs> yeah, i remember when i one time like the very first time i was going away um, and it was cameras in my house. And I pulled my son in the room and closed the door on the cameras. And um, doing behind that door, uh, me, I was actually trying to tell my son I was going away, but I, I was like crying. And I remember um, the camera guy was like, oh, and the producer was like, oh man, come on, please share this with them. And I was like, what, share this with y'all? Nah, nah, you can't, you can't see me crying. Like you can't see me this vulnerable. Like I'm not ready for that. And um, they did a little convincing and, and, and I just said, you know what, um, I did it, you know? And that's one of the scenes that a lot of people uh, remember and hold daily to their hearts because it was it was real. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, it, it resonates, man. And, and that's one thing about you that I've always said, um, this is a very authentic person and relatable. So when I watched you, it gave, because prior to you, you know, and then Pat, it was, I was like, I'm not, I would never, it's just not something that I could even relate to. So watching brothers that I respect that move in a certain man and have certain ethics and codes that I abide by doing it the right way, even when you was being vulnerable, it just didn't look like it was bullshit. You understand what I'm saying? Right. It was, you can right. tell it was authentic. And every time I seen you on the show, I knew it was authentic. 
But a lot of people don't know that prior to loving hip hop, that you was an entrepreneur, that you had businesses, you had studios. Like, like what what businesses did you have prior to even being on loving hip hop? So, so I, I pretty much tried everything. Um, I had car service business, like I had uh, Cadillac trucks, um, some conversion vans, and um, um, I remember I used to have contracts with the record labels that put artists when they come in town. I tried the car service thing for a while. I had a studio. I was managing Vado. And um, the main thing of having a studio, I was looking for artists and I wanted to have a home for artists. I I, I have I wasn't even charging people at that time. I just wanted people to work. So I tell them to come to the studio and just make to stay home and record. And hopefully I'll, you know, I'll find the next the next thing. You know, and um I was dipping and dabbing in real estate, but you know, I was all over the place. I was all over the place trying to uh, flip a turn a dollar. The same way I am now, I think I'm a little more over the place because my wife have, she won't let me sit down. She won't let me rest. Even even though, you know, we not like super rich or nothing, but we we don't have to, you know, we can we can sit down for a little while, but she, she, she just don't stop. I'll be wanting to just you know, take care of the kids and, and take a few days off. She she works in her sleep. So yeah. I think that that makes me want to go hard too to just to see her work. I think it'd be like, uh, I, I got to I can't be sleep. I got to keep up, you know? So it's, a, it's like. A, that's what having a black woman, a strong black woman, that's what it looks like for black men. It always has, you know, that's our role is to really charge the machine constantly, keep you, going and keep you knowing right. like you know knowing your value and your worth and, and you know to help you um keep leading and i and we're going to talk about the dynamics of you and yandy also but i do think that i've watched you grow even in how you support her in business because it, you are such a behind the scenes and she is such a in front of the everything right in running her mouth ideas do, do, do you see us with the commercials and oh my god i see y'all i mean she's a lot she's a big 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 personality and so i know when she starts businesses you're doing the usual mendices you quiet you like, I'm, you know, I'm going to come, but I'm not going to say too much. This is your thing. I don't want to be too. And then she's like, hell no. Like, I know I started these businesses. I know I didn't ask anybody whether they wanted to. I know I didn't get anybody's input. But now I expect that the whole family is in charge of keeping the businesses going. And I have watched you grow into being like now on Yell. I got to know all the products. I got to be able to sell and speak to. And because that's what it's supposed to be about. Right, right. Yeah, listen, any anything I don't know about the products, Yandy's definitely uh take a time, teach me, and she showed me. Um, I remember when I first came home, um, and she introduced me to the product. I, I didn't know if it like really worked for real, for real. And she was like, just try it, right? Just try it. Cause I thought it was like a gimmick, right? I'm like, I, you know, but then it actually worked, and then I got hooked, and and then she just you know, taught me about skincare that, you know, I used to wash my face with Dove soap. I, I didn't, I didn't know the difference between uh, serum and, clean, and cleansing. I, I didn't, I don't, I don't know. I wash up, wash my face, I'm out the door. Like, but now I know, and I'm, you know, I'm taking better care of my skin. I'm be, my taking, teaching our kids to do the same thing and also able to teach people 
how to uh, do it, you know, especially men, you know, because I'm pretty sure it was a lot of men like myself that just wash their face and go with the same soap they wash their body. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh -huh. I mean, that's what, what I was actually in your house when you were away and we, she made me do a commercial and she was like, Mice, what do you wash your face with? I'm like, I wash my face with silver water, like regular. <laughs> She's like, what? I'm like, yeah, that's what most black men do. Like, that's what we was taught. We ain't have no little serums and all that stuff. And she right. walked me through it and said, listen, you're going to do this today. You know, so ever since then, I've been a lot more. So thanks to my sister, Andy, for making right. me take more pride in my skincare. But what I want to know, right, is being formerly incarcerated. You know, I know that that time, like you, you expressed how you was telling your son that you was going away and you was vulnerable and you was crying because I know that feeling, you know, as you sat in that cell and you sat away from your family, like what was the mind state like re-entering society? When you when you came, like what did you say to yourself? You're away from your family, away from your wife, you're away from all these things. Like what did you say to yourself to, to keep going and to motivate you when you got back out here? I think I had I had time to myself uh, to reflect on the decisions I made, you know, through my whole life, you know, from, from the beginning, you know. Um, just all the bad decisions I made, all the if what I could did over if I had the opportunity. And um after I got past that, you know, I was just trying to figure out how a plan and how can I be a better version of me. And so I can be a better version, you know, a father to my son, a husband to my wife, and uh, um a better son to my mom and better brother to my brothers. You know, I just I just wanted to be a better me, you know. So after after reflecting on the decisions I made, you know, that that was my main focus because I started seeing that, you know, the things I put first, um, where I put love at that shouldn't have been love, um, as far as like materialistic things and, and, and partying and, and you know, just just in just in general. So I wanted to make sure that when I came home, you know, I had I could execute a plan. Um, I could be more involved in my kid's life. I could be a better husband. I could be a better brother. And, um, you know, I could open up more. I don't have to be so close. You know, I, I, I can I can, I can speak more. I can tell people how I feel. I don't have, you know, I, I was so close. You know, we we was taught not to express emotions and keep mm -hmm. them locked in and hold them. You know, and I, I wore a good poker face. You know, I, I learned how to smile when I really want to frown. You know, um, I, I wore a good mask. You know, I, I did it real, I did it the majority of my life. And sometimes it's such a habit that I do it now and I catch it and, mm -hmm. and I try to communicate because I'm smiling and I'm really pissed off. But I, I learned to say that, yo, listen, I don't really like that. This is, what made, this is how it made me feel and, and, and able to work through situations and, and um, move past it. And, and because of that, I'm, I'm able to have great relationships. Mm. That's so powerful because I was, when we decided that we wanted you to be um, our guest, my son, he called me up, he said, yo, I want to do Mendeecees. And what we do with every guest is we talk to each other about how we feel about the individual. So we know what direction we're going to take in the, in the interviews. And, you know, we travel all the time, my son and, and I, and a, a bunch of us are always together. And I... I've never been around people this much that are formerly incarcerated as much as we do now that this is the work that we're very much engaged in. 
And there is very, there are very similar um, characteristics, if you will, or things that I think all of you guys do. And that's one of them, the whole like, you know, laughing when you're really not happy, but trying not to lose it, you know, on people, like always trying to maintain a level of like, let me not engage in anything because I could go from here to here real fast. So I don't want to, I don't want to even get into conflict. I'm not trying to, and I'm, and here I am, I'm over there like, tell them mice, why don't y'all say something? Yo, I'm trying not to let that, you know, I want that side of me to come out. Also the quiet space, like you have to, we all know, Linda, myself, all of us know we have to leave my son sometimes alone and let him just have his quiet space for thought because he goes into these moments when he has to be able to recalibrate, especially after we've annoyed him all day. Because imagine, Gandhi and I, the reason why we're so close is because we're very similar. And Linda also, we always got something to say. We telling him what to do, how to do it, pull your pants up. This ain't right. What's wrong with your skin? Your hands ain't right. You got to say it like this. This work, we, we annoying. We know that, but it's all for a good, a good cause. However, y'all need space. And so I just want to say that I, I identify now that those of us who want to be good allies to returning citizens also have to understand that there are certain things that take time to develop out of. But I don't know, my son, you've been out for a long time and I don't know if you have, you have developed out of those things. I mean, it's, 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 it's a space, like, you know, it's, and, and it's your sanity. Like you, you, you develop it from being incarcerated, right? Because the moves that you make incarcerated can cost you your life. Certain people, you gotta watch things. You gotta be very observative. You gotta see everything that's going on. You gotta say less. Because the more you say, the more people feel like they know you, they get comfortable with you. It puts you in a position to where you might have to do something to somebody. So in a similar in these streets, in, in a similar just in every business, a lot of people that they, they, they say things and do things and there's a level of energy that I know in different forums, they might not survive, right? But I, I understand that. So me evolving into this space, I need to take time for myself. I need time to unpack. I need time to think about things because a lot going on, you know, and I'm a very meticulous and calculative person. I like to, I don't like to make a lot of mistakes. I don't like to say things that I don't know about. I don't like to, you know, just be speaking just for the sake of talking. So I find myself secluded a lot, you know, and like Mandisi said, I understand what my story can mean to somebody else. So I've become more of a public figure. I made myself public. But like when we first started working each other, I never was really public. I would tell you stuff and be like, yo, y'all need to do this, this and that. You like, you do it. I'm like, nah, I know what I'm saying, but I don't want all of the public stuff. So, you know, it come, that's that's one of the things that I, I say, like when you come incarcerated, you become a lot more introverted. Even if you're not, you can be, but it gives you, like you need certain times just so quiet and, and sanctuary. Mm -hmm. So so you got out earlier than was expected, right? Um, no, I, I tried. I put in a motion to get out earlier, but it was the, it was uh, denied. But I was released to the halfway house, so I had nine months halfway house. So that's what you know. That's people usually get nine months to a year. Some people get six months, but unfortunately, I was I got nine months. So what was that like? The halfway house. I don't. I, I'm. I'm not really had many conversations with people about that period. Um, the halfway house was is 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 people 
getting reintegrated back to society and um some people don't have nowhere to stay and and, and it gives them a couple of hours out to go find a job and and you know um and you know just to get on their feet but for some people uh like myself if you have somewhere to go then you know they they don't want to just throw you out there and you be stranded and don't have, you know, lack of opportunities, don't have nowhere to stay, and then you start committing crimes again. Mm -hmm. So it gives you a little bit out of time to see what you can handle. Mm -hmm. yeah. But you guys had a mansion already. Yeah, yeah. So they kicked me out. As soon as I got there, they kicked me out. You know, uh, they they said that I was getting special treatment. And, uh, you know, you're not, you listen, I, put like this, I, I, I was blessed to be able to not have a stressful bed, right? That my kids was taken care, um, you know, I was, I'm okay financially. The only thing that was worrying is that I was missing uh, moments in my family life. That's the only thing that, that was causing stress. But other than that, you know, it wasn't, it, it, for me, it was a learning process, right? Mm -hmm. I got to learn me and, um, you know, that was important because I was, I was living fast. And, and no telling if I wouldn't go to prison where I would have been, you know, and, and, and focus on how can I make myself a, a better person. So I, I, I remember in one of the reunion episodes, and, and it was another powerful moment, you know, where you was talking about how you felt like you was groomed to be a drug dealer. Yeah, right? absolutely. And, and, absolutely. And that was, and, and a lot of people, you know, like I say all the time, I have conversations with people and I say the first vision of success I ever seen was a drug dealer. I didn't see no lawyer. I didn't see nothing. The person who had the car I wanted, the money I wanted, the girl, the respect I wanted was the drug dealer. So that's, that was my image of what success was. So that's what I wanted to be. So explain when you, when you said that, what was you thinking when you said it? So when I, when I, I was thinking like when I was young and I take you back to like, I was six years old, like pretty much not able to comprehend um, real good. I remember my, someone in my family used to take me down to Soho in the village and they used to give me a, uh, which I learned later was a pack of drugs and put it in my, tell me, put it in my dip, my underwear rather, and play the video games and, and every like 30 or 40 minutes she used to ask me for it. And I never knew what it was and, until I told my mom and my mom, uh, baby father, and they end up getting into a fight because I, heard, I overheard them saying, you gave my son drugs. Mm. So later on, you know, that same person, uh, you know, was, was, was coaching and goading me to become a drug dealer. You know, um, and then he and then what happened it was when you know my mother when my mother baby father left and then my mother had her situation, there was no one around to protect me. So I had to defend for myself. And those were real vulnerable moments that you know I needed to make money. I needed to eat, I needed, I needed, I needed sneakers, you know, I needed I just needed things and I had nowhere to get it from. Mm -hmm. So that person really was like, well, you know, you do this, you do that, and you're just watching and observing, and and then I just took off from there. Mm. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I think that's with so many things. Like, we think of that only, well, listening to you, that's obviously a really harsh situation and an example of, like, destruction and whatever. 
But it's the same with women and how we learn to use our bodies, right? For whatever we need, right? We're taught by other women from a very, very young age. And it's not, it's not like they're giving you something to, you know, and making you sell yourself, but they are showing you that when you do certain things with your body and you act certain ways, that that will help you get things that you want. And it only turns into a worse, you know, people behaving in very promiscuous ways later right. on in life. So the way in which we train our children, and I watch you guys insulate your kids very much, um, you know, to keep them from these influences, these outside influences. There are a lot of people out here who don't have the resources you have. You know, they don't have the resources we have. My son's the same, insulating his children as much as possible. People don't have that. You living in the projects right now or living in any community that is marginalized and disadvantaged and you got a parent maybe locked up, maybe not even, you know, maybe deceased. You've got a, a, a mother who is, you know, working two jobs, maybe whatever she's got to do because two jobs could be a whole lot of different things. It doesn't mean that she's going to the hospital and whatever. She could be going to the stripper pole at night and doing something else in the daytime, trying to survive. What do you, the people that are catching those kids are folks that have that, that's all they know. Right. You know what I'm saying? So this is why breaking the cycle is so important and why it's so important for the two of you and others like y'all to do this work of telling your story because then people will see, oh, wait a minute, that's what this looks like. You know, I need to insulate and protect our kids. So, I, and let me move on to another question. You know, I'm the one on here that runs my mouth. Um, coming back home, you are coming back to a different yen. Right. Not the same woman that you left. She's now years later. How long were you? did you do? Oh, four years. So four years, oh, a lot happened in four years. She's grown. She's become even a bigger personality. She's found social justice in this time period that she's now full-fledged into fighting for justice and causes. How do you feel returning into this, this new situation with your new wife? <laughs> in the beginning, it was scary because um, I'll watch what, you know, what the police do to protesters, you know, they, you know, most of the time they get violent with them, you know, especially black protesters, you know, so it's, it was uh, me being scared for her safety, you know, and I understand the cause she fighting for, but, but I, I'm, I'm looking at it from a point of view, like, we need you, mm. you know, me and these kids, we need you, you know, I'm not, I sacrifice anything, but I can't sacrifice losing you. Mm. You know, so I, I sacrifice myself, I sacrifice my freedom, I sacrifice anything, but I can, that's something I can't sacrifice. Mm -hmm. So um, her safety for me was number one, you know, and, um, and um, after that, you know, just talking to her and, and going out there with her and understanding the cause, then, you know, then I, I became less worried and, and I seen the bigger picture. And I knew she was, uh, in certain instances, she was safe. You know, I knew that y'all was safe. Mm -hmm. And um, then, I felt, then I felt better about that. And, you know, I did, I, the only thing I could say is because she got a strong will is the supporter. Because I, this is something I can't even stop. Mm. You know, and, and, and it'd be easier for me to support her than go against her. Mm. Wow. You that's real. You know, so... Watching, you know, I, I, I like to talk about 
just a public thing because I know that it's tough, right? So watching your relationship with your mother and your wife publicly, right? right. And seeing that play out in the public. And, and it's crazy because we have so much similarities, right? I watch your relationship with my mother. God bless it. Then my mother passed. I mean, your mother, my mother passed a few months ago and we had like a similar relationship, like, right? Like she was more like my daughter sometimes than actually my mother, right? So we, and I'm watching you and your mother go through these things. That's, with, that, no, that's not, that's not, that's the same relationship of uh, me and my mother. She's I more. Know, that's what I'm like, saying. I'm watching, I'm literally watching it. And I'm like, yo, this is the same <laughs> way that my mother looks at me like I'm her, like I have to do everything for her. Then she gives me this guilt trip and all of these things. Even when she's wrong, I'm still wrong, right? Okay. So I'm, I'm I'm watching this play out. And I, you know, I met your mother when we was on a reunion. So and she's a beautiful lady. I've seen her all the time. She's a dope person. But watching that relationship play out, and watching it play out between you got two strong women that you both love, and, and it's playing out on TV. Like how is that dynamic? I mean, it's hard, right? Because um, I'm I'm my mom's protector, right? So she feel like she's losing me and she's not coming first. And she feel like she should be coming first before anybody and everything. And um, I feel like she has a husband, at, you know, and she has a household and in a family outside of me. Now is my time, you know, and and you know, I have to just like her husband put her first. I have to put my wife first. But mm -hmm. still, that doesn't take away the love I have for her because I'm her protector and provider too as well. But this is my household. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I get you it. So I don't go over there. I don't go over there and try to mess up your household. That's right. Please don't do that to me. Mm -hmm. You know. Mm -hmm. So, but it's it, the the fact that I know it, and, I, and I'm gonna say this. You know, I know it's not my wife, right? And I just know that the insecurities of and what my mom's going through. Um, not to say it's her either, because you know she's gonna be watching this. So let me just, you know, say it's not her either. But I know sometimes when you just love strong, it's gonna you're gonna crash. Mm, it hurts. It hurts. I mean, we all go through it. It's 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 just a natural thing especially for a mother because here I am I have a son he's 23 they're they're having a baby and I'm very all in stuff and giving my opinion and what generally works is they just let me do whatever I want to do nobody wants they just like do you however you want to do it is fine but I'm I try my best not to be disrespectful because at that point then people start and 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 by the way my grandchild's mother is very strong. She's very strong. She's not going to just let me talk to her any kind of way. It's just not going to happen. So, you know, it's it's a it's a real personality thing and and that's why I was asking you about as Yandy is now, you know, she's she she and not saying that she was soft spoken before, but she certainly has had a realization of her power over the last several years and now here you come back and it's like, all right, wait a minute. We do. I want things to be this way in my household. That had to be an adjustment. Your mama, yeah. your wife. It's a lot going on here. So, yeah. So you know, a lot of I came home right, not fully understanding. You know, all the things. You know, I I left, and for so many years, I was like, had this. I'm the man of the house, 
you know, this, these, these, this is what we're doing. This is how we're doing it. But and I come home and Yandy's all over the place and, and it's like, all right, you know, um, okay, let's slow down. Number one is I don't like this place we live in, so we, we move in. And she look at me, but I, I like this place. I, I, I did this place nice. Now nah, I don't like it. But why? And then she, I was like, I want to move to Atlanta. She's like, but I, I want to stay here. I said, I want to move. Um, I had to sit down and explain the reasons why. Mm. You know, I, so I, I couldn't just say I want to move. I had to tell, listen, these are the reasons why this is, these, these are the things that's important. And I just think that it'd be good for our family. And then she understood mm-hmm. and then it works out. But before I went, I would just say, nah, this is what it is. This is what we're doing. This is what we're doing. So now I learned to take my time and mm. explain to her, like the reason behind, you know, my actions or what I want to do. Yeah, it's, it's a process of being more of a partnership than being a right, dictator. Right, right. Yeah. Before, when you yo, this is what we doing. I'm moving, boom, boom, and then understanding you you have a powerful black woman who, in her rank, is a boss. So now right. you can't. You gotta gonna look down. at me and roll her eyes and, and and look. Yeah, you know, I'm gonna get all that. So you know, so I gotta be. I gotta. I gotta. So you gotta meet with bosses now. It ain't like yo. Right. Now we're doing this. Now you're sitting down with the bosses playing and look, this is why the best move for us to make. So that now it's, it's sanctioned on both sides. So right. I know it's a lot, man. I know it's a lot. You got a black woman, strong black woman. Marriage is a tough thing. How is like, I know it's ups and, and, and you got a public marriage. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So I know that's a transition, you know, and I'm watching y'all, but I, I love the, the way that y'all transparent at times. You get on Instagram, y'all might have an argument and you be like, nah, and y'all debating back and forth and you allow the world to see that. Because I think for me, there's a lot of people that think certain things about relationships and marriages and most people only show the good parts, right? Right. They don't show the work that comes into it, the constant things that you got to do. Like, what is that like? Um, I think it's a balance, you know, just creating a balance. And and I think that marriage is something that we constant got to work at, you know, um, for, for us, for our children, for our family, you know, and, and that sometimes it feels like there's a lot of pressure, you know, um, just because there's a lot, there's a lot going on. Like she got things she want to do and I got things I want to do. Then we have the children and responsibilities. We got to share it. And um, we crash, you know, we used to crash a lot. We don't crash as much now because we just learned communication is, is the key to success in our relationship. So we, we always gonna have to take time and not answer the phone and just talk. Mm. And, and, and that's, that's what's important. That's what help us get through, just talk. Just, you don't answer, I don't answer. These are issues, How, what's the solution? Mm. It's like a dance. Right. Like right. They, and that's what they say. I mean, my parents always say that love is waning. It goes up and it goes down. You be in love and out of love in relationships, but you have to have respect. And there are other just very fundamental things that help you restore love, you know, and, and the communication piece, I think is so important. But I don't know what I'm talking about because I ain't got a man, period. So how about that? Anyway. It is really, really good to have had you on here to, to speak from, we don't, people, I've never seen even DCs being interviewed. So this is a 
Huge yeah, deal. Yeah, listen, listen, uh, listen. I, I'm not gonna lie. I, I was about to say, um, do you guys do this today? <laughs> yeah. But nah. But I, I'm happy um for this opportunity, and, and plus, I just feel like I'm talking to my family, so I I really don't recognize this as an interview. Um, this is just a regular conversation to me, basically, just telling y'all things that y'all already know, but you know. <laughs> No, I learned things. I learned stuff. Oh yeah, I learned today. I learned about the early release. I didn't know or the early yeah release. Um, I learned about a lot of things. I also have more of a perspective because I this you know Yandy is is like one of my best, my closest friends, and I can see. I know when you first came home, there was a struggle. She was she was going through things. You know, you could tell she was all like frustrated at times. Y'all were going through things. And I can see the happiness that she has now is shining through. And that generally comes from peace in your home, right? right? Like shining through. The way that she, she wasn't, like I would call her to talk about work in the past and she was there, but it, you could tell something was going on. Now she's like, here, I got creative ideas, you know, fresh concepts. And that comes from you having a settled mindset. And usually as women, y'all gonna say I'm crazy and nah, 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 this and that. But usually when we have stability with our partner and somebody who is not stressing us out and making us lose our edges, and as this new thing they saying that I love, that Nick Cannon has started messing with our pH balance because you bringing me Trixie's problems that she got going on, we usually pretty happy and we can do dope shit. But when those things are off, we can't, we're not functioning at the highest level. Right. Right. And plus, you know, one of my one of my rules a long time ago is that um I, I told you don't bring gossip into the household. I don't care about who's with who. I don't care about no one else's business. I don't care about who's making money. I, I think that takes away from the relationship, you know. Um just you know, you know how people say pillow pillow talk. Mm-hmm. I, there's a lot of stuff that we can talk about than other people's business. Mm-hmm. And, and focus more on our household and what we need to accomplish than be worrying about other people that we don't even know you know you know and and we have no we can't help we can't do nothing I, I just you know I think that too helped us a lot too as well and it also I think one of the keys like you said pillow talk is also other people's opinion of what you're going through right and right. when you when you get outside opinions of people that have an opinion of your relationship, right? And they got nothing to do with it. Like I don't care about what somebody thinks about what me or you or what we doing, right? When we when you allow those things to start festering, it causes confusion. And then most of the time people come from a perspective where they actually doing worse than you are. Their relationships and life's and they don't everything. even have they don't even, most of people don't even have a relationship, right? And they take a they could take a 15 minute clip of a reel on Instagram or a picture and they start telling you they they tell you they dissect that picture and tell you oh he doesn't blink one time if you if you have if you if you want to be you know they just for one picture and tell you oh he don't want to be with her or she this and she's that and she's this so you you can't really let these people opinion affect your household because you'll be single just like them no you know no disrespect to the single people but you well, won't have single people yeah but you that's by choice 
It right? is by choice. It is by choice, but also I have to speak up for the single people. I'm single by choice because I've been through life and I've seen enough shit to know what is what will work for me and what won't work for me. And I also can look at other people's situation and know off the bat that right there is not going to work. When if, if I if I if I meet a couple, because I have a family member actually who just is constantly yelling and talking crazy to her husband. Like they just, they, they talk crazy to each other, but she says things to him in front of other people that is just not good. And I already know he's going to find somewhere to go to deal with that. Right. Cause he's not going to just, they, and they get drunk. It's just not a good situation. Y'all actually know these people, but whatever they get drunk and they did. It's not a good situation. So I don't, I, I agree that you have to be real careful about people's opinions entering your relationship or people's gossip or whatever. But there's also something to be said about people's experiences. And if they actually love and care for you, it is their responsibility to tell you when they see you doing something that's destructive or not taking care of yourself. Because women have always had to sit down other women, whether they single, married, divorced, whatever it is, and say, sister, you playing yourself, or these are the things you need to do. The problem that I think exists, and my son and I argue about this all the time. Sometimes he agrees, most times we argue about it. Men don't do that enough. There are not enough men calling other men to the table to say, I've seen these things and it's not cool. You got, you can't, me and you can't, you got this wife with a brand new baby at home and every night you in the street with me. That shit ain't cool. Who's helping her? You know, well, we, I, we, I know some men that do that, right? I have, I'm fortunate to have uh, a few married friends, right? And um, they was, they used, they would, you know, give me pointers. They have like been married for 20 years and mm -hmm. Uh, a long time and, and 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 I ask some questions how do you like how do you stay happy for 20 years because at some point we you know we want to kill each other you know <laughs> and, and, and trying to you know find a way to keep this thing going and um they quick to give me advice you know I have I, I can I can call them any second and they just say listen it's the small things that count mm. you know you know, it's not about big gifts. It's not about, um, you know, being, a, you know, not saying super affectionate. It's just about just sometimes just calling, calling your wife and say, yo, you're the baddest thing I ever had, you know, making a day. It's just the smallest things count. And they actually work. Mm. And then, and then, then they was the one that called me out. Like, man, you bugging. You don't, you don't leave flowers and this and do that. And I'm like, no, like, no, I don't, but I have, I'm getting better, you know, but lucky for me having being around married men to understand, you know, certain things that you, that you do, you know, I, I mean, I, I, I haven't grown up and seen these roles of an example. Mm. I didn't go, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't, I, I didn't, I haven't been, my first wedding I've been to, I think it probably was mine's. I, I, and I don't really know people that's, that I grew up with that's married. Like not, I, I could probably count on one hand. Hmm. So I, that, I never seen that. It's very, very, very powerful. Thank well, you. Well, listen, man, this is, I just want to say, man, I'm proud of you, brother. You know, Thank you. Just watching you evolve into who you are today, you know, 
is is inspirational to me, man. And I know it's a lot of people who come from where we come from, come from where you come from, who look at you and say, wow, I know Mendeecees. I know what he's been through. And, and if he can do this, I, I can do it. So I just want you, before you leave here, there's some young kid in Harlem in the projects, you know, dealing with a lot of stuff. He don't know how he's going to make it out. He don't know if he's going to survive. He's forced to hustle, all these things. And he looks up to you. I want you to give him some words that you would say to him that would motivate him. I would say, don't be scared to try new things, right? You know, um, just whether you fail or you succeed, just try them. You know, um, if, if if things get rough, you know, just look around and, and if possibly change it, try to change your circle, you know, um, that's important. You know, try to, try to be around people that, that's not gonna laugh at you for doing something new or, or going a different direction. People may not believe in you as long as you believe in yourself. Mm -hmm. That's important. You know, um, people gonna tell you your ideas ain't gonna work or you're not gonna succeed. Don't pay that no mind. Mm -hmm. You know, so that's I what- love that. I love that. Black men need to be told constantly, try new things. That is a very powerful statement to black men because some black men don't want to travel, right? Because they just don't know. They don't know what outside of this little area, what that means. They don't feel, uh, what is the word, competent or well-spoken enough or well-cultured enough. Then in, in the community, you got a lot of young men who are like, all I know is the block. That's all I know. All I know is sell drugs, maybe a little job, but being an entrepreneur, knowing that I, I kind of know what type of joystick I want, right? I know where the thumb ain't right and the this and that. Maybe I can actually create this because I'm a creative person, but nobody has ever told them that they could do that and, be and become like, you know, the new game console, you know, developer. So telling young black men, it can't be passed over quickly. It's not like a little statement try something different, try something new. I think that's a movement all by itself. Right. Thank you. Thank you so much. Matter of fact, what is the name of the restaurant? Because I really need to go there. It's in Crepes. It's in Crepes. And where is it at? It's at the underground downtown Atlanta. I'll be in Atlanta this weekend, so I'm coming. All right, make sure you hit me. I'll be here. But right. wait a minute, dancing creeps that did, was it supposed to start as like like desserts and whatnot? And now so, so what happened? Me and Yandy went to the Maldives, right? And um, and um, she had a she had these crepes, and we noticed it was in a, a huge crepe community in Atlanta, and um, she was like, you know, maybe we should get a, some crepes in Atlanta, and then we just started out pretty much as an idea, and we turned that idea into a reality. It's beautiful. There's something different. Right. Something different, right? We try new things. Always try new things, man. They you said know. that's white folk stuff. <laughs> that's what they well, said. Anything you try is going to be anything outside norm, what Black people do, what they, whatever the box they put us in is going to be white folk stuff. That's, that's right. That's what they're going to say. White right. folk stuff. So now, then they start saying you have money. You, that's <laughs> white folk stuff. Or if the teeth is white. That's white white folks stuff, right? So, no. Well, give me all the white folks stuff because exactly. I'm tired. Yeah, I, I don't want to hear it. So I, I guess 
Thank you, brother. All right, bro. We love you, man. Be safe. All right, love you this weekend. All right, see y'all later. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for the eligible bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...with zero qualifications... She had a Harvard plaque. ...tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. ...that this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately eleven million dollars. Nearly ten million dollars was all gone. Employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich men, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, season five, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Delve into the visceral world of hip-hop with the Gangster Chronicles, a podcast that aims to unravel the intricate tapestry of one of music's most influential and misunderstood subgenres, gangster rap. Hosted by MC8 and Big Steels every Thursday, each episode provides an in-depth exploration into the formative artists, monumental albums, and socio-political factors that have shaped gangster rap from its emergence in the 80s 
to its enduring impact today. Gangster Chronicles unpacks the evolution of this uniquely American art form. We dive into the socio-cultural aspects that Gangster Rap boldly addressed, from police brutality to systemic racism, offering listeners a comprehensive understanding of the profound cultural significance this genre holds. Listen to the Gangster Chronicles on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's go. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, the story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's how we own it! Always inspired to see my brother, man. Mendeecees is very humble, quiet. I know Mendeecees, Mendeecees. Y'all know the TV's, man. Like, they got one little glimpse of it when you know he had gotten to the fight with with um yandy's cousin trainer you know they seen that little thing that you know he got another side but mendici's has grown man he's evolved into wow. somebody that you know is it's just and you can see that he's very intentional about being better right yeah. and that's what i say about a lot of people like that, that we don't get that most of people who've been incarcerated, who committed crimes in our communities, they're not bad people. They didn't want to commit crimes. There was a level of desperation. There was a level of hopelessness that we all felt. And we felt that was the way to get out of it. But to our core, we were all good people. A lot of, I know a lot of good people. And you know, a lot of people say there's no, no honor among thieves. And I believe that, but there are honor amongst honorable people who feel the need to commit a crime. See, that's a different thing. You can be an honorable person and feel like you need to commit crimes to survive. If you're just a thief and, and that's just your nature, then there's no honor. But it's a lot of people in the streets who, who commit crimes, who engage in illegal activities, who are honorable individuals. And if you give them different opportunities and put them in, in circumstances and situations where they don't have to commit those crimes, they will definitely not do it. And, you know, and I think, Mendeecees is a testament to what you can do when you're given the opportunities, when you evolve, when you come home and you 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 see the errors in your ways and you realize how it affects the people you love and your family and it takes you out of, you know, situations that you can be prospering in, you know? So I just want to salute him, man. Salute him. Awesome interview. Awesome guy. I'm happy. I'm proud of them, but I'm, I'm, I'm proud of him, I'm proud of them, but I am most passionately happy for my sister because I know that uh, having a strong man, strong black man, ain't nothing like it. 
Shout out once again, shout out to Mendeecee's excellent interview. I hope people tune in and make sure you um, look, go to Dancing Crepes, right? In Atlanta. Atlanta. Underground. Underground. Make sure you and do that. And the Yellow Skincare Store. Skin I love that when he said, when he first came on, we thought it was a gimmick. Like his mindset is a certain way, right? And he's growing out of that. But there was a time when he like, everything is a hustle. Everything is a gimmick. Skincare. Like that's white people stuff. We don't create you know, the damn skin. And then he found out it actually works. And I know several people who use Yale skincare. The only reason why I can't say, oh, I use it every day is because my dermatologist put me on something 11 years ago that works. And when you have something that works, more than likely, you know, you're not going to just change um, because your friend came out with something else. Like that's just not how it works. Um, but I have been a big supporter of Yale and several people that I turned on to the product love it and they use it. I, I, listen, I, I do it. I make sure I, I get you do. You do. I'm, I'm a scale, I'm a um Zell skincare fanatic. Yell. Yell. I am a yell skincare fanatic. So that brings me to my I don't get it. This is some of the weirdest shit I've ever seen. Like we keep constantly seeing weirdo shit, right? So over a dozen female inmates were raped, assaulted, and harassed in an Indiana jail after a corrections officer sold keys to their cell to the male prisoners for $1,000. Like how in the hell did he think that was gonna work? Like what was going through his mind? Like. Like it's some sick shit. It like it, it really is some sick things. Like some of the things that we see, like you sold keys to the inmates, so they were just running into the cells. Twenty eight women filed lawsuits. Like, well, here's the thing that I want to say. Do you know what the biggest problem is with what he did? What? So he got money for it. That's what got him in trouble. Because I can tell you right now. Keys are being passed around for free and it's been going on for decades. Well, however long incarceration has been going on, they've been passing. They're giving up. Well, I was, I was in a prison. Well, you know what? The jail I was in, there was no females in the prison. So okay. for most, for the most part, the males and the females are not in the same prison. So I don't even know. I don't even know the dynamic that this prison has to where a inmate, a, a male inmate can get to the part of the jail, anything with a female is to get into a cell and, and do it. I, I don't even understand and I, how- and it, I didn't see it saying only other incarcerated individuals were going in It here. says to, to male inmates. And them, them too. I mean- how, they, Okay, so my thing is this, how, so look, who else was coming in the jail to but, be it has to, but the point I'm making to you, my son, is it had to be facilitated, which means that I'm not talking about outsiders. It could be staff, kitchen staff. It could be other. It says um, specifically male inmates. Okay, so then that means that somebody was allowing them. It's a it's it's called an enterprise, right? Oh, yeah, it's an enterprise. Some somebody. But was that means it wasn't just him. It had to be. Oh, it's, it is. It's two of them. It's Jamie and David. So they must have been running a racket. I'm saying so all I'm explaining to you is that the only reason why 
you're reading this and it's an issue is because money was involved and these women decided to sue. We have a friend, a very close friend, who is a motivational speaker that is powerful and incredible, who was in prison for several years, a woman, who tells the story of how the CEOs came into their cell, her and another woman that was in there, and had sex with them regularly, and especially made sure that they got fellatio whenever they wanted it from the, and they were young, okay? They were not 30 and 40, whatever years old. They were young. Okay, so I'm what not, I'm- well, Listen, I'm not saying that those things happen. I, I, I know but, those But I'm things. just explaining to you that the only thing that makes this rise to being worthy of discussion, which is always should be worthy of discussion, is that they got paid. Because no, it's, it's not just, but I'm trying to tell you, there's a dynamic. I'm not just talking because inmates in, in, in um, offices have had relationships. Incarcerated individuals, definitely. You know, prisoners and um and officers have always had those things. There's it's always happened. I know that I know that for sure. You know, yeah, but we're not specific. talking about that. Because so, by the way, because by the way, that sounds like the slave master and the enslaved individual yeah. relations. May every now and then I'm I'm sure there's COs that sleep with with uh prisoners as you said oh yeah sure but in a lot of cases as it relates to the women incarcerated individuals they don't want to do it i'm not it saying they want to do it i'm not saying i'm not saying that's not i'm just saying that the dynamic of an officer being able to have access to her cell is not new that's something that most of an officer decides that he's on a gallery, he can open the cell and run in and do whatever he wants to. And even if she don't want it, he can do that. But what it would take for another inmate to get from another wing of a jail to go into the female's wing, rape her, didn't get back. And nobody seen like this shit had to be a real, they had to be running something because it's so many officers in between the different sections of a jail where women are held in a men jail that it had to be, this shit is more than just these two people that was involved in this situation. Yeah, no, I'm sure. But even in that, even in this, the scenario that you described where an officer can go in the cell and do whatever they want, there's still many eyeballs turning away from that because the cameras are showing you going in and out of the cell. It's not like- There's no cameras. There's, what are you talking about? In the, in the in, You telling me that in the jail, down these halls and corridors, there's not, not a sink sink. It ain't no, it ain't no, I don't know if now, but that there was not one, mm. no, not one camera in sink sink inside the, 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 the blocks. None, not one. That isn't, that's crazy. Not that's one. crazy. But, but I would hope that there is a way to be able to see and monitor, right? The control room is supposed to see what the fuck's going on. Only thing the control room sees is is um in and out of doors. like the, the doors that you go through to get to the cell blocks, but there's no cameras inside the cell blocks. Mm. Well, how does that help a woman or a man or anybody that's being assaulted? Because basically, if that's how they know, they would have been this couldn't happen if they had cameras inside the cell blocks because the camera would have caught it all the time. So, and nobody, the, the, the comptroller ain't going to be like, yo, I'm involved in, man, that shit is, 
all types of federal charges. I wouldn't necessarily. I don't agree with that. I think that everybody going to be. You, I think if you are an officer who is doing something with an a, a incarcerated person, there's a couple people that know something about you going in there ain't right. You go in there often. There's some energy. There's something that is going to bring cause people to see. But they don't want to see because nobody wants to be the one to be the whistleblower, to tell the story, to do the thing and to have to be a part of what now becomes snitching, if you will, or whatever, on your the colleague. Right. And someone said to me, you know, I have many correction officers in my family. And someone said to me one day that it is you don't you when you go behind the gates. Right. When you go in behind these them, you know what they say, no two doors open at the same time. So when you step into the jail, you become just as much of a prisoner uh, as the prisoners because anything can happen. That's a and fact. if people don't have your back in the midst of a situation, you could die. That's a fact. So it's, it's, it's real. That is really sad. Like that these women were being assaulted by men who just had access to them and nobody protected them that's sick that's unbelievable mm. well that brings us to the end of another episode of street politicians shout out to our guest mendices you yeah. know i'm glad he's being released off probation because i know what that's like early release three and a half years that he could have still been doing and they let him off early man just seeing him continue to prosper, being a father, entrepreneur, businessman, and just somebody who, who I see as a role model, somebody who has evolved from the trenches, from where we come from, that young kids can look at and say, it's possible, man. So shout out to him. And um, if you have any topics that you want us to talk about, send them to Street Politicians so we can get your topics on. If you have any you know ideas if you have any um guests that you want us to interview guests you want us to interview anything let us know at street politicians on instagram dm us and we'll we'll, we'll definitely work on getting that done so yeah. once again we love you yeah. it's not gonna always be wrong my son is not gonna always be right but we will both always and i mean always be authentic yes salute Listen to Street Politicians on the Black Effect Network on iHeartRadio. And catch us every single Wednesday for the video version of Street Politicians on iWomen.tv. That's how we own it! Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.